Hey everyone, can we just admit that 2020 has been a weird year so far? It seems like everything in the news is so dramatic. Everything in pop culture is just in our face all the time. Nobody's opinions have any shade of nuance anymore. Everyone's just reacting to everything all the time. And it doesn't feel great. Uh, I personally just got a text from my sister telling me that my parents are now into Billie Eilish. I don't know how to handle that news, but... One thing that I know that I can do that keeps me grounded, it is going to OntarioLoud.ca and making sure that I'm signed up to support Ontario Loud on Patreon. If you want to hear about events in your own backyard, not from a place of plumicism, but you want to hear some deep dives on public policy, it's a great thing to do and a great way to combat the 2020, I don't know if you can really call them blues if the emotion is so high, but you know, you know what I mean. Welcome to Ontario Loud, a podcast of politics, public policy, and current affairs, hosted by recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin, and today we're completing our series of interviews with the Ontario Liberal Leadership candidates by sitting down with Member of Provincial Parliament for Don Valley East, Michael Coteau. Michael has had a long career in politics, beginning as a school board trustee in the city of Toronto before being elected to provincial parliament in 2011 and serving in a number of high-profile ministerial portfolios, including tourism, culture, and sport, citizenship and immigration, children and youth services, uh, and he was one of the very few liberals to keep his seat in the 2018 election. Michael, welcome to Ontario Lab. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'll note before we get started that this is our last candidate interview for the Ontario Liberal Leadership Race. You can listen to all of our interviews with all the candidates live right now. If you are thinking of going as a delegate to the convention, you might know who you're supporting, but do you know who your second and third choices are? We're hoping our interviews can help you a little bit, and we'll post the links to all of them to our Twitter today. However, today is all about Team Coteau. So Michael, going to get started right off the bat. Why do you think that you specifically are the right person to take on Doug Ford in the next provincial election? When Ontarians see you and Doug Ford on the debate stage, what are you hoping they'll see? Well, first, I'll answer the, uh, the second part of the question first. Um, when people look at Doug Ford and they look at me on the stage, I hope they can see that we're the exact opposite of each other. We are so different. We're so far apart. Um, you know, our upbringing, our background, our, uh, but mainly our values. I think that we share different values, and I believe that Ontario is more aligned with the values that I have that are liberal values than uh, what Doug Ford's offering Ontario. Um, I believe that I'm the best candidate for this position, uh, and there's there's experience, there's um, there's there's history within the party, there's organization, there's all of those pe- those pieces that really, really matter. But I think I'm the candidate that recognizes that this is our this is our one and only shot as a party to get it right, to align the party with where the people of Ontario actually want to go. So if we can align that party with people here today in Ontario and where we think we should be going over the next 30, 50, 100 years, I think that we can get this right. And our party has done some incredible things in the past, but we, we are right now in an age of disruption and massive changes. And uh, we see these big social issues all around as affordability, people feeling like, you know, the, the concept of hard work paying off doesn't work anymore to, you know, for a lot of people in the province. So I want to make sure that we can align the party with people and get it right and build a new party, a new party, not rebuild something from the past, but build a new party based on our values 
and offer that, that back as a party to the people of Ontario and, uh, and move forward. So I want to drill into this question of values uh, with you a little bit. I notice your uh, campaign slogan is values driven. Um, and in one of the leadership debates, uh, you said that conservatives have a little bit of an easier time explaining why they're conservatives. And with liberals, we have a greater diversity of answers. You've argued that we need to get simpler and be more specific. And so I'm wondering if I can ask you what liberalism means to you personally and how would you explain it to someone? You know, it was fascinating for me because I went on a listening tour and uh, and I was speaking to uh, many liberals across the province, and um, I noticed that when people describe conservatives, they, it's so simple. It's like, you know, less taxes, less government, less regulation, less immigration, or get, get tough on crime, whatever the flavor of the month is. With liberals, we're kind of all over the place. You know, why we're liberals? It could be because of, you know, my, my family, because of the Caribbean background, it's all about Pierre Elliott Trudeau and an immigration policy that allowed people from the Caribbean to come into Canada. You go across the province and people have different answers. From all those answers, I think it really comes down to one simple thing, that we're in it together and we want to protect each other. And if you kind of flesh it out a bit more, it starts to, uh, uh, to build in a few other concepts that we're the party of opportunity. You know, I always think of the, the difference between the Conservatives, the NDP, and the Liberals. And I think of, uh, if, I, if I can use a, you know, a piece of the pie analogy, if you're old enough, uh, it's like, you know, George Jefferson theme, you know, everyone wants to get a piece of the pie. <laughs> um, but if you're a Conservative, it's like, this slice is mine. Don't touch it. If you're an NDP, you think, you know, you've got some goodwill, and you say, you know, let's slice it up even more. As Liberals, we're all about, like, taking a step back, rethinking the recipe, and baking a bigger pie. And that's what it should be about, and that's why I'm a liberal. So at the end of the day, it is a values-driven campaign, and it's really about identifying, and, and we did this early, my team, that out of June of 2018, when we lost everything, when we were stripped of our resources as a party, we were stripped as, uh, of our membership in the legislature. When we lost members voting for us and just Ontarians uh, supporting us, the one thing we didn't lose was our values. And that's why, you know, you look at the polls that came out yesterday. Uh, we were five points, I think, ahead of the Conservatives. And uh, yesterday we had uh, Amanda Samard join the party. It's because of the values we hold as Liberals. And if we can build on that and get it right, I believe we can build a party that can re really represent the needs and interests of uh, everyday Ontarians. So I want to ask a few questions about how uh, maybe that philosophy reflects in the policy that you've, you've talked about. Uh, I want to drive into some of the specific proposals, but maybe start at a little bit of a high level. So on your website, you, I was struck by um, sort of a paragraph that introed your policy platform, which is that notions of left and right are increasingly losing value as the need for collaboration and consensus in our province becomes more evident in the face of global scale change. Um, the time has come to end divisiveness, heal the damage, bring Ontarians together. I think uh, when a lot of people look at the world, they see left and right as gaining more value, maybe not for the better of the world, but and divisiveness in particular increasing due to forces that are beyond our control. So I'm curious for how you think you're practically going to do that. How are you going to do that and make sure that it sticks? And you know, even if you don't necessarily place yourself on the political spectrum, left and right, where do you start your coalition for change? That's a great question. Um, I think that when it comes to public policy issues and ideas, what we've seen in Canada and many parts of the world, we've seen 
the extremes on either side of the issue really controlling the political debate and agenda. And we're starting to see a, uh, a separation of people based on those extremes. What I would like to do is build a government that focuses on the 80% in the middle and the, the people who sometimes, who often don't feel they have a voice and look for ways to champion the issues from that perspective. When it comes to uh, political spectrum and uh, left, right, center, you know, when I think of that, I think of, I think of like the 1960s for some reason. I think of like Richard Nixon or, you know, or, you know, it was just like, this is who I am and you defined yourself, you know, from a, a line on a spectrum. Like, it just sounds ridiculous to me to do that in this day and age. The world has become so complicated. I'm a, I'm a huge progressive when it comes to climate change. I believe that we need to double down. We need to push as hard as we can to, to fight climate change. When it comes to uh, balancing our books, you know, there's some that say deficits don't matter, some that say that deficits should be a pri the priority. I say that as a good, moderate liberal that we should be aiming to balance our books. And there are going to be times when we have to spend more because of investment or because of the shape of the economy. And that's going to happen. But there will be times when we need to focus on bringing down that debt. And I think it's just reasonable. You know, when it comes to my educational thinking, like around just education, I think there has to be a stronger emphasis on literacy and numeracy and where young people feel that they've been invested in. And, you know, maybe that's from my school board trustee days. And I remember Jerry Connolly, who was the director of education, said, Michael, it's, and to the board, this is about numeracy and literacy. We've got to get young people to that age where they feel confident about their literacy levels and their, their numeracy levels so that they can go on and, f and build resilience within them. You know, that's the type of, you know, thinking I have. So it's, I like to define it as practical politics. I don't know if, uh, if it's being coined, but uh, there you have it. It's just a mm -hmm. simple approach. And, you know, I think... Um, I think moving beyond uh, the traditional way of doing things is something that's needed in this country today. You know, Kate Graham talks a lot about doing things differently, and I, I appreciate that. I think, I think she's, like, 100% right about doing things differently. We need to do things differently. We're losing people here. When you get 20% of the population of eligible voters, you know, picking a majority government, something's not right. And it's because people have lost faith in politicians. And I think that, um, you know, at the beginning of my campaign, we talked a, a lot about restoring decency in politics. It's a huge thing that I want to bring to the table. I want to be able to work with you if you're a conservative, if you're an NDP, if you're part of the Green Party. It shouldn't matter to me. I want to work with you to find solutions. And, uh, you know, as premier, um, I, I've said, and I've never seen this before, I would go, I would ask if I could go into the other caucuses, you know, a couple times a year, uh, the NDP Green, I guess it would just be Mike and I, uh, but uh, <laughs> we're the conservatives, and uh, sit down and actually have these discussions, and I would actually listen to what they have to say, rather than building that type of politics that exists at Queen's Park today. I'll, I'll end by saying this, that um, a, a little while ago I was at a conference, and it was all of the, um, the state legislatures in the Americas. Where was it? It was in Pittsburgh. And there were thousands, thousands of, uh, of, uh, of people, men and women like myself, who represent their communities. And I sat at the table with, uh, with the Canadian delegation. 
there were a few people from the legislature. It was the first time I actually had conversation with a couple of folks from the NDP and the conservatives. So imagine us there in a foreign land, sitting there, four or five of us, and we had these conversations. And I looked around, and I said, you know, these folks at the table, these are not the folks I should be fighting with. You know, these are not the folks I, I, I need to defend against or compete against. It's the people in the room from other states that, you know, are competitors. You know, I want our agriculture sector to be stronger. I want our, you know, infrastructure to be better. I want to work with the people from my province sitting at that table to, you know, to, and I don't want to say take on because it's not about the fight, but a position Ontario to be successful. And that's the mentality that I want to bring back into politics. It's interesting because um, in some of the polling that we've seen, I think when I think of divisiveness in politics, I think of Trump and I think of this, like, you know, like sort of the binary opposition that we're seeing in the states. And, um, you know, you've seen people in, in polls express a, uh, a desire to want to see their leaders reach out, but also a simultaneous desire for their leaders to, right. you know, champion more progressive positions or more conservative positions. Yeah, Patrick Patrick Brown used to say this in the legislature, which kind of caught me off guard when I when I used to hear him say this. I don't care who the idea comes from, you know, we're gonna we're gonna incorporate it. Which is kind of the opposite of what Doug Ford's done, right? <laughs> so, you know, I've got to tip my hat to, to to Patrick Brown because, you know, he was one of the first people I heard say, you know, this is about uh, this is about bringing the best ideas to the table. And I think Kathleen did a lot of the same things as well, right? She was, uh, you know, she was bold enough to uh, to step outside of that four-year cycle, which is, I think is a huge problem in politics and think beyond. Yeah, and I mean, also on this podcast, we've given Patrick Brown kudos for the uh, conservative party that supported a carbon tax, rest in peace. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, speaking of climate change, uh, we've noticed that you've been really specific in some of your climate proposals, which is uh, which is interesting, and, and they're big. Uh, you've talked about free transit. You've talked about expanding transit. you talked about retrofitting uh, all public buildings. You've talked about expanding the green belt, protecting water, um, endangered species, uh, everything down to like waste management, which is, I, I think, one of the one of one of if not the most um, detailed proposals in the race. Um, I would say it is, yeah. without a question. Every candidate, I think, yeah. has, has made uh, climate change, or at least the issue of climate change, central to their candidacy. So I'm just curious for maybe building on that, why you think your approach is the best one? Um, right. And what's your theory of, in this, going back to the subject of polarization, in this super polarized world, how do you make real lasting change on this issue? Well, it's interesting. You know, at the beginning of this race, people were, they were advising me, don't get, don't go too deep into the policy. You know, this is not about policy. This is um, this is about you know organization, and it's really about popularity within the party. And I, for some reason, I just didn't buy into that. I thought we need to develop some really strong policy that doesn't confine the party in a direction, but starts to open up questions. You know, where do we want to go as a province? Like, what are the the big things we should be discussing? These are really to stimulate conversation. I've been criticized uh, by uh, by uh, free transit by saying let's make transit free, and um, it's interesting because if you read the document, it actually says that um, that's an aspirational place we'd like to land, and incrementally over ten years, let's explore ways to get there. So if you look at uh, Kate's plan, you look at Steve's plan, you look at Alvin's plan, you look at all the plans, it really fits into what I'm talking about. This is about exploring uh, ideas. Uh, being bold, reimagining transit, and uh, not being afraid to try things. So when you take the Young Line, 
and you offer a discount, uh, you know, pre-rush uh, hour, well, what's the impact on that? We see different jurisdictions around the world doing this. Uh, and in fact, when people ask me, what has Doug Ford actually done that you agree with? He made 12 and under free on go. And I, right away, when the Minister of Transportation put that out, I actually publicly uh, said it was a great idea. And uh, the minister had the, uh, I guess he repeated it within a question. Even the member from Don Valley East agrees with our plan, <laughs> which is always something, you know, politicians <laughs> do. But I mean, we need to, we need to think different. We need to, uh, to not be afraid to reimagine Ontario. You think about the world that's coming, you know, by the year 2030, experts are saying that the way we move around is going to be completely different. You and I won't own cars. We'll have a subscription to a fleet service that, you know, a car will come. It'll be autonomous, get us to where we need to be. We'll pay 100 bucks a month, and that's pretty much the deal. If we know that the world's going to change that rapidly, like going from horse to car took place in about 13 years, you know, why are we building roads exactly the same way today that we built them 50 years ago? So we need to reimagine the way we move, the way we build. And the biggest problem today in politics is that people are, politicians who get involved in, 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 in this process, think in cycles rather than looking deep into the future. And I want to build a government that has the ability to look into the next 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, the same way Japan does, the same way China does, and really thinks about where we want to go, where technology is moving, what population growth looks like, where taxation is and revenue, uh, what the pressures are from systems when it comes to infrastructure and just maintaining, and what are the expectations in services? You know, these are big ideas, big questions that we need to answer. Our current trajectory will not get us to where we need to be because all we're doing right now is standing still. We are basically that 2-3% we had every year. That's the cost of standing still. And there's more to it. We need to take a step back. We need to bring people together. And we need to build a plan for Ontario that looks into the future. And I worry that Ontario is going to lose its standing as one of the best jurisdictions in the world because we have politicians today who are not thinking about the next 50 years, they're thinking about the next election. And it's a problem. I got into this as a school board trustee when the school board was under supervision for $5,000 a year. My check was $187 every two weeks. And I'll tell you, I got as much satisfaction from that job, doing that job, as I did as a backbencher at Queen's Park, as I did as a, as a parliamentary assistant and as a minister. Because I got to serve people, and that's why, I'm, that's why I do this. I get to serve my community and my friends who are still my friends from childhood. When I see them on the street, they say things like, thanks for uh, you know, stopping the city of Toronto from, uh, from making it illegal to play ball hockey. It's those types of things that make me feel good and give me the energy to keep going. So I'm really interested in like that four year cycle, that four year cycle term. Um, it's and, dangerous, and I I think one of the reasons that there's such an incentive in our system is because people are afraid of change, and for all kinds of uh, reasons, you know, it's uh, it's much easier I think to make people worried about what's going to happen to them in the short term. What's my short term affordability challenges versus, you know, how important is it for us to tackle something that is ten years out? Uh, I get that, that like that that's where you want to go. Um, 
China, uh, you know, obviously doesn't get elections. Um, how do you, in, in a world where people are afraid um, right. about change, and it is easy for politicians to use that um, to win elections, how do you actually change the dynamic around something like climate change? Like, what's your what's the missing thing there that's not there right now? Well, I think thinking short-term and long-term, they don't have to compete against each other. You can do both, right? People have to pay the bills today. Like, when you're hungry, you got to eat, right? So you got to deal with that. Um, but uh, if you can't preserve prime agricultural land for the next 30 years, that's going to be an issue as well because you're not going to have food at the table, right? So I understand the, the challenges people are going through. Uh, but what I would say to, to your question is, you know, fear is a very powerful motivator. It motivates people to make decisions when it comes in. We see this happening in the States. You know, the immigrants are coming. We've got to build a wall. We're losing all of our business. Uh, we've got to, you know, we've got to isolate ourselves. Like these things happen. Uh, they're moving into our neighborhood. We've got to, you know, there's all these things that take place. I would, I would say to, to, to folks, especially like you take a thing like the new economy, and there's two approaches people are taking. People are looking at it with fear, saying that all the jobs are going to be gone and the robots are coming. Then there's another group of people that look at it. And, um, you know, I may be a bit of an idealist, uh, but I look at it as a massive opportunity to reset our priorities in Ontario and to, to make more time so you as an individual uh, can spend time with your family. You as an individual can, you know, know yourself better. Um, you can actually work on, on, on that, that intellectual property, that component, rather than just, you know, working in a factory, uh, pushing a button or, or uh, turning a knob. That's the type of, um, you know, approach I think we need to take. I think there's going to be more opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if we, can, if we can look at it from that perspective, from a solutions-focused and a positive outlook into the future, there's a, a lot that we can gain from it as Ontarians. We are in the perfect place as Ontarians to do something quite remarkable and to transform our society, but maintain those values that have that have gotten us to this point. That you know that gets thousands and thousands of new people coming into our province every year because of that quality of life, and that's what we need to build on and build this entire uh, new economy on. And there's so much opportunity. So I'm not afraid of the future. Uh, but what I am afraid of is politicians who will step into uh, these roles and, uh, and use fear uh, to, uh, to, to actually motivate people. And that's what we saw with Doug Ford uh, running against uh, Kathleen Wynne. So last question on policy. Uh, I've actually I've heard you say in the past, I think it was on the Navigator podcast, that governments uh, sometimes only get a, a few big signature changes in the course of a term. Um, and so I'm curious uh, what you hope the big signature, you know, FDK-like change, a Koto liberal government would, uh, would enact. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, if I was the premier of Ontario and it was my last day in office and I was looking out the Queen's Park window and I had to reflect on you know, what I was able to accomplish, I would be happy if I was one of the, one of the people in that building or within that government that set the stage for the next 50 years of this province, that put in place the, 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 the ingredients necessary to actually get us to where we, where we should be. The other piece is, um, if I could leave that, that office, walk out on that last day, and know to myself that 
Ontario was the best place in this in the planet for a child to grow up, um, to have the best education, the best health care, where they feel the most protected, where they get services when they need them. When they're the most uh, uh, nourished nutritionally and mentally and where they feel loved. Um, you know, if I could walk out of that building knowing that, you know, we, we've built all of our dreams on their aspirations, um, I would be satisfied with my time in government. We uh, want to shift gears a little bit to the race and the party um, that we're finding ourselves in now. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the the Koto government, we've asked all the candidates uh, what they think of the process the party has, typical leader currently, um, whether they support it. Um, and so you are, by most measures, memberships, fundraising, um, uh, the strongest performer in this race uh, after Stephen Del Duca. Is this the process we should be using? And how do you feel about it now that we are well into it? You know, it's interesting because me personally as a liberal, I kind of represent a bit of where we've come from and I think where we, where we should be going. I'm kind of, kind of in the middle there. I grew up, uh, you know, in a non-political family and uh, when I was 17 and a half, 17 and 18 around there, I walked into the Liberal Party headquarters not knowing one single liberal in my life and asked how could I help. And I got more involved and I started volunteering and you know, I started working for a federal minister, and I took political science in university, became, you know, so involved in the party. So from that aspect, I've been involved for quite some time. But I'm also a bit of an outsider in the party because, you know, I've always kind of been on the, uh, 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 when it comes to reform and, you know, criticizing the party and looking for ways to change. So it's interesting that there's a part of me that loves the convention. Like, I love the convention. The convention's great. I was there in 96 with Dalton McGinty as a young kid. And, you know, I was there with Kathleen Wynn. There's something to be said about it, but I also know it excludes a lot of people. You know, the whole system itself was designed, and, you know, we shouldn't be shy to, to talk about it from, you know, from this perspective. It was built to protect, you know, a small group of people, right? You know, the elite within society. That's what politics was built on, you know. It's like, um, you know, you had, I guess in the past you had to be a certain age, you know, with a certain amount of land, and only some people could vote. It's, it protected a system, right? The party system protects the party. And um, there's no question in my mind that there's massive reform needed, not only in the way parties operate, but the way we elect people. You know, there needs to be reform. Electoral reform is necessary in this country. So there's a piece of me that's caught in, you know, the past and a piece of me that's caught in the future. What I do know is the status quo is broken and um, we need to reform it. We need to get rid of our membership fees, like get rid of them. Uh, the data is more important to me to connect to people and get their ideas and feel, have them feel like. You know, I think that uh, the traditional convention, the way we elect delegates, it doesn't work. Uh, we need to look for another way to do that. Um, I think the fact that, you know, you got to pay, you know, X amount of money to, to even compete. What was the conservative number? 300 grand or 200, 300 grand? For fed, federal to join the race. I think it was like $300,000 to join the federal race. Ours was 100,000. I think it was, I think it was about 100K. So I was joking. I've been complaining. It's so expensive. And I complained to some, I mean, I, I commented to someone, well, it looks like we got a discount compared to the, uh, the conservative race. But I mean, those types of things really restrict people uh, from participating in politics, even the convention fee. And it's not the party's fault because they've got to pay the bills. Like you have a convention, 
you have to pay the bills. But there has to be a better way, especially in the digital age, to, to, to select a leader, to interact with members, and to build a better party. There has to be a better way. So that's where I stand. The um, uh, I just looked up the conservative fee and it's two. It's it was two hundred thousand uh, dollars. So you know, I, I guess they looked at what we did and were like, "So I'm half price. We got it half price, fifty <laughs> percent discount on." Uh, I'm feeling better about it. <laughs> um, so our, our last question of the day, actually, about the convention itself, right? Uh, living in the world we're living in, it seems like. Um, Stephen Del Duca with 14,000 odd, a little more than that, I think, uh, membership stands a decent shot of bringing a lot of delegates to the convention on right. the first ballot. And so I'm curious in the situation, uh, what you think the pathway to victory is for, um, an insurgent candidate and, um, does it involve working with some of the other candidates? Well, I think the first thing I'd have to say about this convention is that I'm pretty lucky to, to join five individuals, uh, the six of us in total. Um, that are, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy to do what they're doing, to do what I'm doing. And um, to, to get to work with Alvin and Brenda and Kate and Mitzi and, and Stephen, you know, to me, it, it just, it's very symbolic of being part of the next generation of liberal politics in Ontario. So I feel honored to be able to, like, be in their presence and work with them. Uh, Stephen is the uh, the front runner when it comes to the most money raised and most memberships sold, um, but collectively as as six, uh, he represents was that would be uh, about a third of the uh, the members. Um, he's raised the most money, but um, when you start to look at you know we've doubled the amount of donors he has, so ours is more broad based. Uh, we've got about a thousand people who've donated so far. I think he's at about 400, if memory serves me correct. Um, so some interesting things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to go into that convention, and we're going to have the opportunity to, especially the second, third, fourth ballot, to sell a different approach than what Stephen's offering. You know, Stephen's talked about him being the builder. Steve, he makes reference, he's Steve the Builder. And that's great, you know, and uh, Stephen's my friend. He's my, you know, we've worked together. Uh, We're allies in in cabinet, you know, looking for ways to make this, uh, you know, with the rest of the the cabinet to to build a better Ontario. But what Stephen's talking about is building um, a better party. He's going to raise the most money. He's going to get our candidates ready. He's going to, you know, he's going to get ready for the fight. And to me, there's a big piece missing from that narrative. You know, you can't get ready for a fight if you don't know what the purpose of that fight is. You can't build something if you don't know what the design is or the architectural, you know, uh, outcome is supposed to be, right? So what I'm hoping to bring to this campaign is to have people look beyond just the fight. This is not about Doug Ford. You know, people will convince you that we're going to go out there, we're going to get Doug Ford, and it's all going to be over. We're going to send him, you know, home packing and kick him out of Queen's Park. You know, people, it, it gets people excited. It sounds great. Whoa, we're going to get rid of this guy. You know, I love it. Yeah, it doesn't sound but, bad to me. But it's not about Doug Ford. This is about building a new political party to reimagine it, to reimagine what Ontario can possibly be, to rethink what it means to be a liberal today. And to set the stage for not the next four years, but for the next 50 years. This is about making sure that when we make decisions, they're in the best interest of the people of Ontario. This is not transactional politics. This is like real life stuff. 
I want to make sure that our prime agricultural land in this province is preserved. I want to make sure that when I go to different parts of the province and I meet a young Indigenous uh, girl in northern Ontario who wants to be a lawyer, that those academic courses are offered in her class, which in some cases don't happen. Or that black kid in Jane and Finch who, you know, stuck in this like cycle has the opportunity to break out. Or, you know, a, a young, you know, young farmer who wants internet and high speed, you know, uh, bandwidth in her community so she can automate her services. I want that to be there for her. You know, this is what it's about. This is about reimagining Ontario and building it off of the values we hold as liberals, as Ontarians, and doing things differently. We can go backwards and just build the party of the past, or we can build a new party that actually aligns with where people want to go, and this is the only chance we have as liberals to do it. When, when we fell in 2018, it was hard. But if you think about it from this perspective, it was the best opportunity we ever had as liberals to reinvent what it means to be a liberal today. And I want to take advantage of that opportunity. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about something that is not liberal leadership, not that we don't love the liberal leadership process. We clearly do since we devoted quite a bit of time to it, but we're going to be moving on next week. This is the last of our candidate interviews. Um, If you go on our Twitter, we're going to make sure we post and pin all six of our interviews with all the candidates so that uh, they're easy to listen to with the liberals riding pretty high in the polls right now. uh, There's a decent chance that one of these people is going to be premier. So, you know, if you want to hear future premier things before they have the real spotlight of a general election on them, listen to one of these. And curious to know uh, who you think the best of the interviews was uh if you go to ontarioloudmail at gmail.com or get at us on twitter at ontario loud on twitter let us know i'm super curious ontario loud is sam mandry alexi white and myself uh we are supported by volunteers asia anwar philip askew and harman mundy see you next week 